This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hey, dog lovers. Welcome to Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs. I'm your host, Dr. Katherine Prim, and I'm a small animal veterinarian and a dog owner. And as you may be aware, I try to use this show to educate everyone out there on the best ways to care for their dogs. And one of the things that I think is extremely important in dog care is what you feed your dog nutrition. I think that nutrition impacts the overall health of dogs, and I would be willing to bet my guest today also agrees. My guest is Dr. Joe Barges, who is a veterinarian. He is a board-certified internal medicine veterinarian as well as a specialist in nutrition. So welcome, Dr. Barges. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. So I know that you're, you're busy seeing patients and working with patients today, so we really appreciate you taking the time out to educate my listeners a little bit about the foundations of nutrition. And then I'd like to get to raw diets because we see a lot of stuff out there. And I want to give my listeners really good information about how to make those choices for their dogs. Okay, sounds good. So if you were teaching a class about nutrition, where would you start? What do you think are the important foundations of nutrition? Well, with veterinary students, we probably start with digestive physiology and just all of the science part of that. Uh, what are the nutrient requirements? You know, what do they mean? Uh, what do amino acids do? Things like that. And then we would move into the species-specific nutrient requirements, starting with healthy pets or horses or cattle or whatever. And moving then further into modification of diet for different disease or clinical condition situations. So food serves as a source of energy. Everybody kind of understands that as well as nutrients to supply other processes in the body. Is, is that kind of what you're getting at? It's kind of what I'm getting at, but it's even uh, even beyond that. I mean, you are, you are what you eat. And so the impact of nutrition on not only health, and obviously on management of disease states. But I think less in small animal, more known in large animal food production, the role of nutrition and prevention of diseases. And I think we're just now, or in the last 10 years or so, kind of coming around to that with dogs and cats. What can we do to help minimize the probability of a problem down the road by good nutrition early? Oh, I love that. I, I totally find that fascinating because the nutrition is something that we have control over. And I, I'm a control freak. So I like to be in control. So things like maybe some keywords that we hear when it comes to nutrition are things like balanced. So what do you think that really means to my listeners? Well, you know, what we talk about um, when you go to the store and buy pet food, you talk about complete and balanced. By definition, a food sold for a dog or a cat uh, to be consumed by eaten by a dog or a cat, that food must be complete and balanced when it is fed as the sole source of nutrition to that dog or cat. And it's based then on what requirements are known for different life stages. And there are basically four life stages, but in reality, there are basically two life stages. So what's recognized by the Association of American Feed Control Officials, which are which is the organization of state agencies, basically, that develop those nutrient profiles and those guidelines. There's pregnancy, 
and then lactation when they're nursing, and then growth, whether it's a puppy or kitten, and then adult maintenance. But those first three are sort of all reproduction, and their nutrient profiles are very similar. So what it means is if they fed this diet solely for the entire growth, pregnancy, lactation, or whatever, it would meet or exceed what we know that that dog or cat requires for one or more of those life stages. So these guidelines, have they changed over the years or or are they pretty much standard? No, they've changed over the years. I don't know that they've necessarily changed substantially, at least over the last 20 to 30 years, but they tweak it periodically and the nutrient profiles change some. For example, up until in the last couple of years, there has not been a recognition of omega-3 fatty acids as being essential. That has changed. And certainly the role of what's called DHA or docosahexaenoic acid, which is an fish oil omega-3 fatty acid with growth and development, especially of nerve tissue, is has been recognized. And that wasn't true, you know, five or 10 years ago. Well, I, I love that those things are taking place and we're recognizing and getting better and better. So if we depend on those guidelines to identify whether or not a food is balanced and complete. What about raw diets? Because then the pet owner is depending on their own maybe understanding to create those diets. Can, can we talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And, and I think there's a couple other things to mention, though, then that is um, these are certainly guidelines and the nutrient profiles that are used. And AFCO basically directs or gives direction for pet food companies to make dog and cat food, which is good because these are based, uh, these recommendations are based on science and publications and research and stuff. But, but there are some assumptions that are made that, you know, probably work in most situations, but may not work in all situations. And that is, for example, an adult dog is an adult dog. It doesn't matter if it's a two-year-old Chihuahua or a 15-year-old Great Dane, an adult is an adult. There are no recognized guidelines, nutrient profiles for senior diets, for active pets, for working dogs, for disease states at all. It's, it's an adult is an adult is an adult. Same thing, a three-year-old cat is the same as an 18-year-old cat as long as they're otherwise healthy. And the other is, you know, this is based on manufacturing, processing of foods. And so these guidelines take that into account, which also means that there are some things that are changed, lost, or added during the manufacturing and production process. So when you said, I'm a control freak and I like having full control, you have control over if you feed commercial foods, you have control over which diet you choose, but you don't have control over what that diet is made from or of unless you choose what food you're going to feed. So unless I choose to to make it from scratch, so to speak. Yeah, so- if you made it from scratch, you would have and you worked with somebody who, uh, you know, a board of nutritionists who can formulate a complete and balanced diet, including substitutions and variety, then that's where you have total control over everything for the most part, because you're still buying your food from a grocery store who are still bringing it in, but you have more control over things unless you grow everything yourself. (laughs) And I don't think I I could do that. Well, so I don't think that a 15-year-old Chihuahua is the same as a two-year-old Great Dane, and I wager that you don't either. So I think maybe, are you just trying to say that the guidelines don't always take into account little intricacies? You know, it's kind of like from the movie, these are guidelines, they're not, you know, laws, you know, they're they're sort of general guidelines. And these guidelines are meant for average pets. 
right? I mean, it's to be, this is supposed to encompass all, for example, all adult dogs. And so it's for the average dog. And so I think part of it, and when we discuss nutrition with parents, pet parents, we talk about, you know, if average is okay, these are nutritional adequacies, you know, that they provide adequate nutrition, not necessarily optimal nutrition or whatever other adjective you want to use. And so if they want more control of things, then there are some other things, you know, there are some other recommendations we might do, like maybe consider a therapeutic diet as a preventative rather than as a treatment. So if you had a dog who was prone to arthritis, a breed like a Labrador, feeding a joint diet that's designed to help with arthritis as a preventative may be better nutrition than just average nutrition. So I think that's super exciting. Because I love preventive medicine and it's always an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure always. So that's an exciting forefront, I think. So what you're saying is that we can create a raw diet that meets nutritional needs and perhaps addresses additional individual needs, but but we might need some help. Can you go into that a little bit more? Sure. I, and there are a couple of things about raw diets. So there are a lot of commercial more and more commercial available raw diets, as well as homemade raw diets. And they are and can be made complete balance. And some of the over-the-counter raw food diet, I mean, all of the, so by law, all of the foods sold over the counter, if they cross these lines, have to meet these nutrient profiles. And so whether it's a raw diet or a heat processed conventional diet, doesn't matter. It's got to meet these minimal, these requirements minimally. So commercial raw food diets are just different ingredients, processed or not processed in different ways than conventional canned or dog foods that are, are typically heat processed. Homemade diets, you need to work with somebody who can make sure things are complete and balanced and, and there are no deficiencies or excesses. And then the homemade diets add a different level of complexity or concern, and that is the requirements for pet foods in terms of infectious diseases, especially salmonella, is much more stringent than what's required for human food. Commercially sold, whether raw or not, heat processed dog and cat food, has to have zero salmonella. There's a zero tolerance level. Chicken that you buy at the grocery store, you know, 20 to 40 or 50 percent of it contains salmonella. Pet food regulations from an infectious disease standpoint are much more stringent than what even human food is. But the reason is human food is usually cooked. We don't usually eat raw chicken. And so when you're making a raw chicken diet at home and you're not cooking it for your pet, then you run this risk of introducing infectious diseases. And that's something you may or may not have total control over versus a commercial raw food where it has to be proven to be zero. So I think that people see human grade food and they automatically assume that that means it's better. So what you're saying is it may not be better. And I think that is a really important fact. Well, it may be better in terms of, you know, like what it's made of, but it's not necessarily better in terms of infectious diseases or, you know, whatever. Uh, I mean, look at the food poisonings we get from that are in the you know, news about spinach and peanuts and shellfish and chick. I mean, all of that. Romaine so lettuce. Romaine lettuce. So, yeah. you know, I mean, if you're, if you're doing raw, you know, raw food diets at home, a lot of dogs and cats don't get sick from eating raw foods at home. And that isn't usually the issue, although there are cases. The issue more is that they carry it and they put it into the environment. And so if, you know, they 
poop out in the yard or they poop in the litter box and then somebody picks it up and they don't wash their hands, they get exposed to it. And most uh, you know, healthy people, I mean, we get exposed to all sorts of infectious diseases all day long and we wash our hands and all of that. But in situations where there's very young children or very old adults with you know, not so good immune systems or someone who's pregnant or someone who has immune problems or in chemotherapy or something, that's a real issue. And, and I actually discourage the clients that I work with about a feeding, you know, having a raw food eating pet in that household. Now, the commercial pet foods have to be zero infectious disease. So as long as they're not under recall for that, those might be okay. But the homemade ones become a problem unless they want to brown the food. So if you take the chicken and most of the bacteria on the outside, if you just brown the outside very quickly, it's almost like a blue steak. You know, it's still kind of raw on the inside, but it's the outside where most of the, the bugs are, the bacteria are. So if we can create, we get some help and we can mm-hmm. create a balanced diet that is raw and we've taken into account some of these other things, what do you think the advantages are of feeding that? Well, I will tell you scientifically, there are no known advantages. Uh, I mean, nobody has really, really shown. There's a lot of testimonials and a lot of you know hearsay about it, but there really are none. And that isn't necessarily because they aren't there. It's just people haven't done the research. It's just not out there. Uh, there is a very little bit of research on raw food diets. We had, um, when I was on faculty at another institution, I had a PhD student that looked at raw food diet for kittens during their growth phase. And... Um, We compared a canned commercial heat processed regular growth diet with a commercially available raw food diet for growth. And then she made a raw chicken diet that we balanced out for growth in these kittens. And we followed the AFCO AFCO guidelines in terms of a growth feeding trial. And all in all, the only real advantage of it, of feeding a raw food diet, was that the ones on the homemade raw diet, that diet was very digestible. Raw food diets tend to have very good digestibility. In fact, these kittens usually defecated about every two to three days because they were able to use the food ingredients and the nutrients so well, they just didn't produce that much poop. That's kind of a good thing. (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess it depends on, (laughs) yeah, you didn't have to clean the litter box as much. But there was no difference between them and all of the other food groups in terms of their immune function, their ability to respond to vaccination, oxidative stress, any of the lab work and no differences in infectious disease issues, diarrhea, anything like that. So there wasn't really necessarily an advantage other than less poop, but there also wasn't necessarily a disadvantage because she was very meticulous in how she prepared the raw food diets, the homemade raw food diets. So I will say there are some theoretical advantages in certain situations. Um, We know that processing does change the nutrient profile, the nutrient availability of, of foodstuffs. Some of it's good starches are not very digestible and you don't get a lot of nutrients from them like with raw corn or something but if you cook the starch there you get more nutrition out of it and heat also kills bacteria depending on what you cook it at but the downside is and what we're starting to look at and we have research going on here looking at this is processing also takes away nutrients and this has been known for a long time for example cat foods have to have taurine added to it because of the loss of the taurine during heat processing Certain amino acids are lost in the heat processing and they have to be added back to it. Whereas raw food diets, that doesn't happen because you're not heat, you're not cooking them. We'll be right back with Dr. Barges after a quick word from our sponsors. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? 
Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Dr. Cat Gone to the Dogs. So you mentioned that in a household with very young children or very elderly, potentially immune-suppressed human beings in it, you would discourage the feeding of a raw diet. But what about little puppies or maybe sick elderly dogs? Does the same concept kind of apply? Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, I'm not sure about sick elderly. I think it depends on, again, uh, it depends on whether you're talking about homemade raw food or commercial raw food. I discourage feeding homemade raw food diets during the growth phase or perhaps in patients who have immune suppressive diseases or medications like they're on steroids or whatever. Because again, you don't know the raw meat ingredients that you're buying. There's a good chance that they have bacteria because they're less, there's a higher tolerable level in human foods than in pet foods. But again, feeding commercial raw food diets because of the zero tolerance might be okay. The other is we don't know necessarily in the homemade raw diets, the nutri- I mean, they're more digestible, but it's unpredictable. Like how much calcium do you get from raw bones? Because that calcium's in the bone. It's not sort of free. And so it's, it's hard to predict sometimes that they will actually be eating a complete and balanced diet. Maybe on paper they will, but you don't know that when you're using these whole foods that are not process in some way. And adult dogs have a lot of safety margin and adult cats. I mean, they can eat all sorts of things and do pretty well, but growth and pregnancy and stuff, that the safety margin is really narrow. And especially during growth, you can end up with problems down the road, like you know, orthopedic problems if they're not fed appropriately during growth. And that's where those homemade raw diets make me a little bit nervous because you just don't, on paper it looks good, but you just don't know. Whereas commercial foods have at least been analyzed, and many of them have now been through food trials just like conventional diets. And so you have a little bit more confidence in those. So I think what I'm understanding from you is that raw diets can be made balanced, but my listeners might need a little bit of help if they're going to formulate that at home on their own. And they may see some maybe anecdotal positive responses, possible less stool. Um, I read somewhere all these people said that their coats were shinier. I think that's a little bit subjective. But the cons might be price, for example, because I read that to feed a dog a homemade raw diet was like $5 a day in some cases. Have you any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Homemade diets, whether they're raw or not, um, usually cost more than, you know, sort of average over-the-counter foods. Now, I will say some some sort of designer or, or you know, more expensive uh, diets are pretty expensive that are commercially available, but it's not only a financial cost, it's a time cost. I mean, although it sounds like raw food you don't have to do much with, you still have to have space for all of that. And there are some things you want to do from a um, hygiene standpoint to minimize contamination, especially of your of the owner, pet owner's own food, that need to be taken into account. And, you know, a 10-pound dog is one thing. A 200-pound dog eating a homemade diet, it gets – I talk to owners about this, and when they want to do it, many of them 
probably over half. Within a few months, say, wow, this was a lot of work, and I don't know if I can keep up with this because they eat so much because it's a 80 or 100 or 200-pound dog. And so then we have to start looking at other other things. So, yeah, it's not only a financial investment, it's a time investment in particular. So if you're out there considering this for your own dog, you have to take into account that you might, you're going to need some help formulating it if you're doing strictly at home. And you're going to have to take into account the time and the money and your, your consideration if your dog is in a growth stage or is a, a, an or... elderly pet. Right. So those are very important. So I think that that answers a lot of my questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to add for my listeners today if they're considering doing a raw diet for their dog? So I would encourage them to, you know, look into it. And I know it's hard to believe, but some of the things you read on the Internet are not necessarily true um, <laughs> or accurate. And you want to look at the reason for doing it or not. I mean, if your pet, you know, if your pet child is doing really well, then why are you considering changing? If they're not doing really well, then maybe it's not diet. Maybe there's something else going on and they should be, you know, examined by your veterinarian to make sure that you're not missing something that you're just going to spend a lot of time and money trying different diets and making your own home diet only to find out something more serious is going on. And then I think it's a matter of a, a common sense. And again, there are some other issues, especially about raw food diets and homemade in terms of of cleanliness. I recommend that they keep the raw ingredients separate from their ingredients, that they have a good freezer to keep it you know, frozen because you can make batches and freeze it and then thaw it as needed and feed it right away. Um, use different utensils than what you would use to prepare your own foods. Use a different area if you can. Don't do it in the kitchen. Do it in some other area. If you have to put it in your refrigerator, put it on the bottom shelf. But, but I mean, like with any raw ingredient, because you don't want that contaminating the other foods. Wash your hands, wash the area, sanitize it as much as you can, because that's where we often run into problems. Most of the people I work with who want to do homemade diets, whether raw or not, are very educated and very willing to take this on and want to do this because their lifestyle is such that they're trying to do what's best. And using homemade diets, you doing homemade diets gives you some variety. And I'm a big believer in variety instead of one whole food. And when we talk about, you know, commercial foods, like you wouldn't eat cocoa puffs every meal every day for all of your life. So why would you think opening this bag of dog food is going to be day after day, meal after meal, exactly what you want? So I'm a big believer in variety. And when we have homemade diets, and when I do homemade diets, I give them substitution lists, sort of like the food pyramid and, you know, they're using people to be able to exchange ingredients without changing the, the composition of the diet. So common sense, cleanliness, and make sure you are doing this for a good reason rather than just somebody told me. And then talk with someone who's trained and can make sure the diet is balanced and complete. So don't go it alone. Include your veterinarian. That's always my message. I always want to Absolutely. include the veterinarian. <laughs> Absolutely. That seems self-serving, but I really think it's good advice. I think it's in your pet's best interest. So I thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It is really my passion to make sure that my listeners get good information so that they're not just thinking they're doing the right thing, but inadvertently causing problems for their dog. So I appreciate your time today. No, it's my pleasure. And I, and I will admit that in the past, we have fed our pets raw food. In fact, we have cats right now and we give them some raw food. So, and speaking from some experience. Well, I'm pretty discretionary and I'm really <laughs> careful. So yeah, I do too, but um, I'm also very busy. So it's not completely raw for Absolutely. My no, it's not, not for us either. It's a combination of things. <laughs> 
but balance. I like balance. I don't want to do all of one thing. So that's right. perfect. Well, so thank you to our producer, Mark Winter, and Dr. Bartis, of course, as our guest, and all of you listeners out there for checking out Dr. Cat Gone to the Dog. Go out and raise the rough. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.